Awesome. Great. It's a super idea and uh, reflects uh, the generosity of this church, High Point Church, and many other churches. So I hope you all get behind that. Praise God. You can open your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 27. I'll begin reading in verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. All right, good afternoon, everyone. Great to be here with you all. Um, it's always cool to do interchurch. Thing, so I always look forward to this service. You can stay open to Matthew 27. I'll be talking through the passage right before that. Good Friday. Gives us all this really necessary opportunity to reorder our priorities, recenter our hearts onto the cross. I think for a lot of Christians, the cross can become something kind of off to the side. It becomes a piece of jewelry, a, a painting in your house, a cool piece of artwork in your sanctuary. It kind of becomes a bit of an accessory. But in reality, the cross is at the center of our faith. 
It is the driving force. It is the gas in our tanks. It is what is spiritually charging our batteries. The cross is central to us as believers. And it's so necessary for us. If we're going to keep our hearts devoted to the Lord, our gratitude toward him overflowing, our joy filled, we got to remember what Jesus went through to get us there. The torment, the suffering, the torture that Jesus went through to restore us back to the Lord. The cross must stay central. And what the cross does when we look at what Jesus went through, when we follow his story, when we read the accounts of him marching to his death, what that does for us is it absolutely destroys and eliminates and pushes out all possible doubt or second-guessing or questioning whether God loves you, whether Jesus is for you, whether giving everything to him is worth it. When you look at what Jesus went through for you, it leaves no question that giving everything to Christ is the only reasonable response to a story like this. When I look at the account of Jesus dying, and I attempt to kind of empathize, you know, this is a time where we, we go, oh, what would this have been like? Let me, let me try to get inside Jesus' head a little bit, get inside his experiences. What would this have been like? My, my brain tends to go to a couple places, and I don't know, maybe this does just for me, or maybe it does for you as well. I, I first go to the physical part of it, the physical torment that Jesus went through, the physical suffering. Jesus was slapped around. He was beaten with rods. He was whipped to the point where his muscles were in shreds. And then he eventually went to the cross, the most brutal horrific form of execution that the Romans did a really good job inventing, where you just pierced, and you essentially bleed out or, or suffocate to death. When you're hanging there, you can't breathe, and so you got to push yourself up, scraping your back against that rugged cross to catch your breath, only to be in so much agony that you collapse back down, not being able to breathe again. That's a huge part of it. And then I think as I'm trying to empathize with Christ, the next place I go is, is there's the spiritual torment Jesus went through. This is maybe tougher for us to kind of wrap our heads around, but there was some kind of spiritual agony Jesus was in, being separated from his Father, taking on our sin, being a curse before God. There's something spiritual happening, and then we can go, yeah, that sounds horrible. But as I look through the accounts, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, in the story, the Passion Week, Jesus' final hours, there's actually another kind of torment that has more time devoted to it. There's actually another kind of agony Jesus went through that receives a bit more attention. Jesus didn't just suffer physically and spiritually, although that would have been enough. Jesus also immensely suffered emotionally. The mental agony Jesus went through at every step of the way is described in excruciating detail. The insults, the mocking, the rejection from all people. Jesus went through this dark, lonely, 
horrible place where everyone around him was hating him, accusing him, ridiculing him. Jesus went through massive emotional turmoil. And Jesus was no stranger to rejection up until that point. This was prophesied before he was even born. Some of the key passages we see in our Old Testament that point to Jesus are Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. And these describe how all who look on him will mock him and shake their heads. He was rejected by all humanity. This was predicted that he would be someone who people hated. And right through his life, people said, hey, nothing good can come from Nazareth. His own family stormed him out, almost threw him off a cliff. He had to go into the desert where Satan accused him of not really being who he knew he was. And then when we actually get to Jesus' final hours, the crowds cheered for him to be crucified over Barabbas. Judas, one of his disciples, betrayed him. Peter, one of his closest followers, said, I don't even know. As Jesus was in his darkest place, his most lonely hour, Peter denied knowing him three times. All of this mocking, scorn, and rejection that people threw onto Jesus gets absolutely ramped up to its highest level when Jesus is in peak physical and spiritual agony as well. I'm going to read Matthew 27, 38 uh, to 44. Uh, yeah, thank you. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we'll believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I'm the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Matthew does a bit of an inclusio here in this section where he starts and ends with the rebels on either side. I don't totally know why Matthew chooses to do this, but I wonder if it highlights the absurdity here. There are three men being crucified, and the two men who were likely repeated violent criminals see fit to hurl insults on Jesus. And as people were walking by, likely because of the Passover, they threw insult after insult on Jesus as he was bleeding out on the cross, calling him names, ridiculing him, mocking him. The chief priests, the religious people, the people who should get it, the people who should understand what Jesus is doing, they join in. They pile on as their last chance to get their insults out on him. They decided he was blaspheming. This was their chance to finally give that one final punch. They called Jesus' identity into question. And I think for me, maybe the biggest gut punch here is they called his relationship with the Father into question. 
If God really wants you, wouldn't he get you off this cross? If you really were loved by your father, would he not save you right now? Claiming Jesus is not who he says he is, and he's not in the same kind of relationship with his father that he knew he was. I wonder if why Matthew and the other writers spend so much time on this. They devote a lot of energy to describing the ridicule Jesus faced. I, I think it's got to be partially because we know what rejection feels like. We know how horrible it is. We devote our entire lives to not being rejected. We do everything we can to be liked, to be appreciated, to have a good name, a good reputation, for everyone to appreciate us. We fear so deeply to be rejected. I pastor teenagers here at High Point, and if I've learned anything about teenagers, is that their entire drive is to be accepted. They'll do whatever it takes to be accepted by their peers. The one thing they are more afraid of than maybe anything else is being ridiculed, is being bullied, is being picked on, is being outcast. And while many of us here are all grown up now, and those were just past memories, there's still that seed in us that sting of rejection that we fear so deeply. And it feels like maybe now, more than ever, although I'm 28, and so I tend to be careful around examples that involve any kind of historical accuracy, all right? But it feels like we are in an age where shaming is only going up and up. And if you're in any kind of public position, you maybe fear more than ever. Well, what happens if a story gets out about me? What happens if people start to believe things about me? What happens if I do something terrible and my reputation is gone? We know that sting of being rejected. Maybe you've been rejected by a spouse or a parent or a child. Maybe you've had a breakup that was genuinely devastating, someone you thought you would spend your life with. Maybe for some of you, you do have deeply painful memories from your childhood of being bullied. The more we look into this stuff, the more we see like those memories, no, no matter how absurd, how ridiculous, how, like, it's not a thing we should listen to that I know as an adult self, I can reason why that happened. I don't have to believe those voices. That was clearly wrong. It was clearly what people said about me was not right. Those memories stick with us. And they shape the rest of our lives. And people live with anxieties and fears that stem from these childhood wounds. There's something so deep in us that fears the pain of rejection. And so we can relate to Jesus on this. The thought of being surrounded only by people who hate you, falsely accusing you, saying horrible things to you. If that was the full extent of what was going on here, that would be plenty of motivation for us to be extremely grateful to what Jesus did. Like the thought of Jesus going through this kind of rejection, this kind of horrific accusation, and he did it for you and me. He went to that dark place for us. I think that in and of itself would give us plenty of reason to be extremely grateful for what Jesus did. But I, I think this goes one step further than that. This actually goes one step more tragic, one step more horrifying. 
Because I don't think it's just that Jesus was facing general rejection for your redemption. It's not just that Jesus faced scorn and mockery from others for you. Jesus faced your own rejection for you. Jesus not only faced rejection for you, he has faced it from you. And this goes one step further, where it's not just that we can imagine, oh, it's, that'd be really tough to be surrounded by people hating you. We've got to go a step further and realize that we ourselves have put Jesus in that place. And we've contributed to the rejection he experienced. When I was growing up, I would always, during this story of Jesus on the cross, I would always imagine, where would I be in this story? What would I be doing? And I remember, I always used to think, man, if everyone was hating on Jesus and calling him names and rejecting him and he was bleeding out on the cross, I, would, I maybe wouldn't have, like, stood up for him because I'm kind of a wimp. You know, I maybe wouldn't have, like, gone to bat for Jesus, but I would have at least been like crying on the sidelines, right? I would have at least looked at Jesus on the cross, had great compassion for him, been like, oh, this is so horrible that Jesus is going through this. Thought of myself separated from the angry mob. But the more I've thought about it, studied scripture, read from the Lord's word, I've realized that I don't, I don't think that's true. I think if I was there, I would have been joining right in. I would have been part of the crowds chanting, crucify him. I would have been the guards slapping him around, saying, who hit you? I maybe would have been the guy who actually drove the nails into Jesus' wrists. As we read the story, our tendency is to put ourselves in the best possible light. Who am I in this story? Where I think it's wisest to realize, in a story like this, you and I are the worst possible person in the story. We're not the ones on the sidelines crying for Jesus. If we're going to put ourselves in this narrative, we're the ones mocking him with everyone else. I have a few biblical reasons why I just think this is true. Not only does Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 literally say this, all humanity will reject him, all who pass by him mock him. We also just see in some of the writings of Paul that all of us at one point had rejected Jesus. We were enemies of God. We hated him in our minds and in our hearts. And so we all at the very least can admit that we at one point, if you're a believer, lived in rejection of Jesus. I don't, I don't need you. Don't want your salvation. Don't care. But I think even as believers, those who have accepted Christ, I, I think we still see echoes of this rejection. Is it not a rejection of Jesus when topic of faith comes up at work, and you fear it's going to be a little hostile, and you don't even say you're a Christ follower? Is it not a rejection of Jesus when you kind of pick apart his teachings and go like, okay, this is like the good stuff that's kind of popular right now. This is the stuff that's not so popular right now. So I'm going to kind of focus on the popular version of Jesus. I'm going to push this other stuff away. Is it not a rejection of Jesus when we live 
in unrepentant sin, and we keep it a secret, and we hold it close, the thing Jesus shed his blood for, is that not rejecting our Messiah? I don't know all of you, I I don't know what you would have done if you were there 2,000 years ago, but it's probably the safest bet to say, yeah, I I probably, probably would have been bad. I probably would have joined right in. But this is what makes the gospel so unbelievable. Because it's not just that Jesus faced rejection for your redemption. Jesus faced your rejection for your redemption. That as Jesus came down to die for you, you fought him tooth and nail. You didn't want it. You didn't care. You hated him as he did it. But he still went through it for you. That as Jesus tried to wrap you in his arms, you clawed at him and fought him and punched him and pushed him away. It's our natural heart. I don't need it. Don't want it. Get away. That is how unbelievably absurd the compassionate mercy of God is. That despite us shaming Jesus as he took on our shame, us hurling insults as he became our healer, us mocking him as he took on his role as Messiah, he went through with it. You maybe still feel a little guarded in your heart. I know I do. No, I, I couldn't. I, I haven't rejected Jesus. No. If you cut off your willingness to explore your own depravity, like where your heart really can go, how bad it really is, how prideful you really are, All you're doing is cutting off the depth of God's abundant grace. You know, if your sin and wickedness and and, and hatred and all the ugly stuff in your heart is just kind of a kiddie pool, and then God's grace kind of fills it, you know, God takes a little hose and he fills the kiddie pool, and that's his grace and mercy. It It fills the space. Like, the gap between you and God gets filled up, and it's this nice little kiddie pool. You'd be like, cool, like, this is nice. Easter's fun. You know, Jesus did this nice thing for me. It's cool. But if you can get honest with your heart, admit that you are as far gone as could possibly be, you are as wrapped up in your sin, pride, hatred of God, as distant from him as imaginable, if you can recognize your depravity as being something more like the Grand Canyon, there's no end to it, it's 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 so huge, massive, Just so much of this, so much sin, so much depravity, so much, it's everywhere. And then when God's compassionate kindness fills that space, that now becomes an overflowing, abundant, never-ending source of joy, hope, perseverance. Those are the kind of believers who say, I'm going to the ends of the earth with this message. I will do what ever it takes. I will follow Jesus no matter what. I will stand up for the gospel no matter how popular that is. I am in it with Jesus entirely. You getting to that point involves you recognizing that you are in such a dire state, so far from God, rejecting him entirely. That, that is where your heart truly was. Then when Jesus reaches down out of only his mercy, only his love for you, his kindness is what did everything. When that's your gospel, 
when that's the reality of Good Friday, when that's what's going on here, that becomes the kind of God you'll give everything to. As we close the service, we'll do communion and, and some more songs. I, I invite you to do it with a heart of repentance. Get honest with the Lord. God, here's the ways I've rejected you. Here's the ways my heart has drifted from you. Because when we get honest with the Lord, that is where the healing happens. Because you are redeemed. And we're going to focus more on this on Sunday, but this is for your redemption. You are not that hateful person anymore. You've been pulled out of it. You've been restored. Reconciliation has happened. But if the weight of that reconciliation is going to be what changes your life, if it's going to be the gas in your tank for the rest of your life, no matter what hits you, no matter what happens, no matter what tragedy you go through, you are in it with Jesus. If that's going to happen, you got to get honest about how far Jesus had to go to pull you out of that mess. It was your rejection Jesus faced in order to achieve your redemption. Let me pray for us. God, you are amazing. Your grace is crazier than we can put words to. There's no way we can fathom how absurd it is that you would save those who hated you in the process of it. But Jesus, you saw the other side. You knew that what people were saying to you on the cross was not true. You knew that in your dying, you were becoming the king. So Lord, we thank you. Lord, I praise you for um, sending Christ to go through this rejection for us. Lord, I pray that that would produce in us immense gratitude, awe of you, and that we would just worship at your feet. Today's about you, Lord, about your glory. Father, we wouldn't be here without you. We would have no hope without you. There's no way we could have turned it around. There's no way we could have fixed it. And you went through absolute hell in order to bring us back into relationship with you. So Lord, we praise you for that. In your name, amen.